learned a very valuable lesson. It's hard to think about stuff when you're told to. It's hard to remember stuff when you're told to, right? Hey, you got four minutes. Remember this wonderful life. Go. Can't think of half the stuff. Wonderful things, though. Wonderful things. Well, um, I don't want to beat to death a dead horse, but uh, the horse isn't dead yet. Um, worship, singing, music. Um, you know, the invitation was extended last week, this week. I took, uh, I took uh, Ben, Ben was leading uh, this one time, and I took him up on that invitation, and it was, it was in the spur of the moment. I was driving through Bell Fountain, and uh, I was done with work, driving through Bell Fountain from Urbana, through Bell Fountain, past, uh, past Jim's place there in, in, in town, his, his music store there. And I walked in, I told Jim, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go sing tonight in the church worship band. He said, really? So when did you decide that? I said, about four minutes ago. That was it. I said, I'm going to sing. He said, you going to play? I said, I don't know how to play. He said, well, why don't you get a guitar? We'll figure out how to play. I said, okay, let's do that. Showed up that night. Said, hey, Ben, I want to sing. I said, all right, let's figure out how we're going to do this. And that was it. That was it. That was as painless as it was. That was painless for me. It was probably painful for everybody else for a while at least. That's what happened. That's how it goes. I remember wanting to go back to seminary one time. I told you that story, right? I called the receptionist down in Cincinnati, said, I want to be a preacher, and I don't know how. She said, okay. Let's figure it out. Here, talk to this guy. You know, and that's what started. If, if it's something in your mind, in your heart, if it's something like that, you, know, you just show up. Just show up. Let Wes handle it from there. You don't have to do anything. Just show up, right? It's fun to be a part of that stuff. It's fun to sing. It's fun listening to music. It's fun to worship. And not only that, it's fun to have a, a ministry, you know, I, a, a vital ministry. Can you imagine, can you imagine life? Can you imagine church? No music. Whether acapella or, or, or instrumental, it doesn't make me any difference. Can you imagine life with no music? I'm not sure that's a life I'd want to spend too much time in. It's a wonderful ministry to be a part of. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Just show up, tell Wes, you can take it from here, man. All you got to do is walk in the door. Wonderful thing to be a part of. I want to read something to you, and, and, and this, is, uh, this is not going to be on the screen. I, I don't want this on the screen. I just want you to listen to the words. There's going to be two different passages here. I just want you to listen to the words, okay? Remember, we're talking about Saul, and we're talking about his fall from being this first king of Israel, a humble king, a, a, a victorious king, first king of Israel, chosen by God. Now, not the kingship. The kingship was not chosen by God. God said, look, I, I'm your king. I don't want you guys to have a king because I'm your king. 
So don't think that the kingship was chosen by God, but the people rebelled. They wanted a king, and so God tried to make some lemonade out of this, and he chose Saul to be the king. I, I want you to listen. Just listen to this. As, as Saul is going into battle against the Philistines, one of the many times Israel fights the Philistines, then panic struck the whole army. That's the Philistine army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outpost and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. That's the Philistine army, melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who was left or see who has left. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. That's a different story, a part of this, and that's one of my favorite stories. I love that story, but we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was there in Israel. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult of the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all of his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with swords, those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all of the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on beyond beth Aven. Sounds like Saul had a good victory there, didn't he? Sounds like Saul had a tremendous victory. In fact, it sounds like Saul was the winner and the Philistines were the losers. From the outside looking in, if that's all we knew, if that's all we saw, Saul, S-A-W, we would think Saul had a great victory. Looks can be deceiving, church. Even stories, parts of stories, can be deceiving. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again that we have the gift of worship, that we have the gift of, of, of learning, that we have the gift of understanding, reading people, reading stories, reading these true stories in your word that we can learn from, Father, that we can be challenged with. We ask, Father, that you do challenge us today. We know, Father, that uh, it's hard, it's difficult to live in obedience. Father, place it upon our hearts to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. I've read that to you, and we're going to get back to that story here just, just momentarily. But I also want to read this to you. This is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to people who came to listen to him. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. This is, uh, he's speaking to those who are, who are following him, who are uh, uh, referring to him as the son of David, referring to him as the Messiah, referring to him as Lord. And as Jesus is talking to all of these people, he cares about these people, he loves these people, he knows the heart of these people. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Now, this isn't going to be on your screen either because I want you just to listen now. Jesus asks this, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus, 
Jesus is a little confused here. He's listening to what these people are saying. He's listening even to watching the way they're sort of acting and reacting on the outside. And Jesus says, let me stop you there a minute. Why are you calling me Lord? Why are you calling me Messiah? Why are you calling me your Savior? Why are you referring to me as God and not doing what I say? You see, this is incompatible to Jesus. Jesus basically saying, look, life doesn't work that way. Your profession doesn't work that way. This thing that you claim doesn't work that way. This is Jesus calling them out. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you claim. I don't even care about some of the things you do. Jesus says, I care about your heart, your mind. Why on earth are you standing there calling me Lord, Lord, and you're going to leave this place and not do what I say? At the very least, leave one of those two things out. Be honest with me and tell me I'm going to reject everything you say or quit calling me Lord. Let me tell you the difference between those who follow and do what I say and those who don't. Jesus is going to lay out here, just a second, the difference between winners and losers. Winners and losers. He says this, following on, just listen to these words. He says this, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. I guarantee you over the past year, I guarantee you if not over the past year, over your life, there have been torrents that struck your house. And there's a big difference between those who see it through and those who don't. Those who put into practice the words of Jesus. Now, by the way, when I practice something, I usually make a lot of mistakes. All right? Every time I practice, I'm making mistakes. Remember, when you guys come in here to join the worship team and put all that weight on Wes's shoulders, that's all right. He's, he's going he's to take care of that. You're going to get up here and you're going to practice. And you're going to make some mistakes. That's okay. That's all right. Key is you showed up. Key is you're working towards it. When I practice things, I'm going to make some mistakes. But I'm going to get stronger and I'm going to get better. And I'm going to persevere, certainly when hardship and difficulty come. Now, Jesus says the difference between those who win and those who lose are the ones who hear what I say and then do what I say. Obedience. We hate that word. Obedience. I got something that will make you bristle. You ready? Some of you are just going to walk out. You have to obey. You got that? I don't care who you are. I don't care who you think you are. You have to obey. Do you have to obey me? <laughs> I make more mistakes than you do, all right? You have to obey Jesus. You have to obey God. 
And there isn't anything higher than that, guys. Oh, we don't have to do anything for God to love us. You're absolutely right. God loves His creation. But then there is something that sets you apart as a follower of Jesus Christ. And one of those things is obedience. It sets you apart as holy. It sets you apart as righteous. It sets you apart as the winner, not the loser, spiritually. It sounded like Saul had a great victory. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to get, that's going to be the, the thrust of our message here. Up until now, in our story, it seems like Saul's a pretty good king. He's good in battle. In other words, he's got some skill or some natural talent. But know this and understand it. Talent alone will not carry your heart and your mind. Can you just, you ought to write this down and put it on your fridge. Being good at something and being successful are two different things. Okay? Being good at something and being successful are two different things. Saul's talent is going to come out. And he's going to rout, with a lot of God's help, the Philistine army. But he is not going to be successful. Being good at something and being successful are two different things. People can be at the top of their field and still be losing the battle. And because of various temporary victories, they don't even know what's happening. They look at their life. Well, I'm doing all right. But they're losing the real battle. We just saw, we just read that this battle is going to be won by Saul. We're going to find out that he loses big in the midst of it. He was good in battle at first, but really the point was Saul had great humility at first, and he was eager to obey because of that humility. Saul made God king. His heart changed. He prophesies. He musters the men of Israel to save Jabesh from the Ammonites, as back in chapter 11, before he's really even confirmed as king in front of the people. He shows mercy due to God's deliverance of Israel. So the people sought a lemon in wanting a king, but God is making lemonade out of Saul. So what happens? In chapter 12, Samuel steps down. Remember, Samuel's this prophet. He's this judge. He's a priest. He's leading the nation, essentially. But Samuel steps down in chapter 12. He knows his role is done. He doesn't die. He doesn't disappear. He's still in service. He's still trying to direct Saul. 1 Samuel 12, 23-25 says this. Um, he says this, As for me, far be it from me. This is Samuel speaking as he's, as he's stepping down from leadership. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he's done for you. Verse 25, we looked at last week. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. Samuel steps down. He realizes that a new path is being forged, that there is a king, and the king's role is to lead. This position now of leadership is given fully to Saul. This responsibility now is, is resting upon Saul's shoulders. And something very dangerous happens. A very dangerous mixture starts to happen in Saul's heart. One of pride or arrogance and fear. Pride and fear. I'll tell you, if you've spent any time listening to my message, you can go back and listen to some of them. Those are the two things I just hate. 
hate more than anything else. And you know why I hate them? Because I wrestle with them. Pride and fear. Pride and fear. And this is the same things that consume Saul. This fear began to enter Saul's heart. Saul was king. He was king for about two years. And then there was this major battle right here against the Philistines. And this battle encompasses all of chapter 13 and 14. Samuel even tells Saul about this earlier on. Two years earlier, Samuel tells Saul there's going to be this major engagement later on, and you're supposed to handle this a certain way. In 1 Samuel 10, 6 through 8, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. You will prophesy with them. You'll be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds, uh, finds to do, for God is with you. That was when he anointed Saul as king. What does Saul do for the next two years? Basically, he goes back to farming. That's, that's pretty much it. He's the king, but he goes back to his, his dad's house and continues to farm. But he also tells him about this coming battle in verse 8. He says, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. That's where this battle is going to take place. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But listen now, Saul, you must wait seven days. When this battle is started, you must wait seven days until I come to you and I tell you what you are to do. Two years later, Paul is now finding himself in Gilgal in chapter 13, about to engage the Philistines. We already know the outcome, right? We know he routes the Philistines. We know he wins the battle, that battle. Samuel's retired from formal leadership, but not from service or prophesying or his priestly roles of sacrifices. And he told Saul to wait seven days, and I'm going to come perform this priestly role before battle. Just before battle, just before battle, as they're waiting on Samuel, and by extension, waiting on God to work, waiting on God to act, Saul's troops begin to be filled with fear and even run away as they're looking at the Philistines. Now we're in chapter 13, 7 through 9. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul, they're, they're running away. They're, 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 they're fleeing the battlefield. They're hiding in caves. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. Now his men are filled with fear. We're going to find in a second here that Saul waited seven days. Saul waited seven days down to the exact second and said, I'm not waiting any longer. I'm not waiting for nightfall. I'm not waiting for this day to complete itself. My patience is worn thin. My fear is overtaking me, and doggone it, my pride says I need to be able to do this myself. Why do I have to wait on Samuel? Why do I have to wait on God? Samuel's not God. Samuel speaks the word of God. Why do I have to wait? Saul's filled with worry. His men are filled with fear. He's lacking trust in the word of God. And this gives way to impatience. And eventually allows an avenue for Saul's pride. Look at verse 9. So he, Saul, said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Now this was two years in the making, church. This wasn't something he heard about yesterday and forgot. Samuel's been preparing Saul for this moment of obedience for two years. He talked about this battle to come years ago and said, Saul, we're going to lay out very carefully the steps you need to take. 
You trust upon the word of God. You trust upon the prophecies of God. And when the moment of obedience hits him, Paul says, you get, Saul says, you give it to me. I'm going to take it in my own hand. This is it, Saul. There's no moment yesterday. There's no moment tomorrow. Here's the struggle to obey now. The struggle is to trust now. The struggle is to not have fear now. Not tomorrow. Not a year from now. And by the way, I know this is hard, Saul. That's the whole point. If it's easy, anybody can do it. If life's going your way anyway, it's easy to obey. God says, here, I have a very important command for you. I want you to make millions of dollars and live on easy street. Okay. All right. No. It's the difficult moments. It's these moments of faith. It's these moments of trust. It's these moments of doing what God wants you to do regardless of what the world wants you to do. Saul knows he's, not, he's told not to do this. And by all accounts, everything that I have read and studied, his mind is one of entitlement here. Why shouldn't I have this right to do it? My men are scattering. I'm scared to death. I don't trust what God said. So I'm going to disobey. That's arrogance. That's all that is. That's pride. And the horrible thing is it leads to disobedience. I understand he has excuses. But that's precisely the problem. We make up reasons. We try to justify why we disobey. And I know people in this room have done it because I've done it. And I'm not a whole lot unlike you. I'm not unlike you, that's right. We try to make up reasons and justify why we disobey. Look, the wrestling match that Saul might be going with in his mind or his heart, a wrestling match that you might be going, having in your mind and your heart about whether to sin or not sin, that's not the sin. <laughs> that's not the problem. The wrestling match isn't the problem. Even the sacrifice that, Paul may, or that Saul makes is not the problem. David made sacrifices. The difference was he was told to by God. The sin is the disobedience. The sin's the disobedience. And I'll tell you, it compounds that sin when we say to ourselves, we say to others, and we try to convince our own heart that Jesus is Lord, Lord. Is it a sin? Is it a sin when we take it upon ourselves? Is it a sin when we don't wait upon God? Is it a sin when we don't trust God? Is it a sin when we wrestle with these things in our heart? No, the wrestling match is not the sin. The sin is when we make the decision. Make the decision. Follow this sequence of events in Paul's mind and his heart. Lack of trust, trusting the word of God. Fear amongst himself and his soldiers, now pride leading to disobedience. It's the same sequence of events in our own lives. We're supposed to learn a lesson from people like Saul. Saul's been on my mind for the past two or three months. The things he does, the decisions he makes. And to make matters worse, this was in front of his troops. To make matters worse, this was in front of the enemy. What Saul should have done is show patience. What he should have done was show perseverance. He was giving up on the word of God. Samuel speaks for God as his prophet. 
And Saul was giving up on the word of God. What he should have done was obey no matter the cost. Here's the point. When we disobey, we lose. We lose. Saul's going to lose here. Saul's going to lose the kingdom. When we disobey, we lose. I'll tell you, let's just get real. Let's get just real for a second. There are so many times in life when you think to yourself, boy, all I've got to do is this, right? In that confrontation or in that moment, you got a, you got a canister full of ammunition and all you got to do is use it and it will take care of the immediate problem. God says, no, trust, patience, perseverance, love, forgiveness. You see, these are the things God wants. And you know you've been there as well. All I got to do is this one sin. When you sin, you lose. Again, the words of Jesus, it's not even compatible to refer to Him as Lord, Lord. It makes no matter the outcome of the temporary event or the exterior battle. When we disobey, we lose. The question is, do you believe that? It's hard to believe that sometimes because, again, Saul is about to lead the Israelites in victory over the Philistines, even with all of this going on beforehand. From the outside looking in, you might say, Saul had a great victory today. No, Saul had a great loss today. The important loss, the real battle. We've talked about the real battles, and you're fighting the real battles right now. The real battles are right here, right here. There's a reason we read the end of the story first. Saul will eventually be completely overcome by pride and fear and end his life. And he's going to end it 40 years later. So you want to look at your current minute situation after a sin and say, well, I must be the winner in this. No, when we sin, we lose. And sometimes we don't even face those ramifications until years and years and years and years later. Saul lost, and it begins to consume him. And further consequences are made uh, and and felt immediately, as we're going to see in a minute. Remember, the real battles are not on the field, they're in the heart, the mind, the character of the person. Everything else is just a facade. And if he would have fought this battle in his heart just a little bit longer, look at verse 10. This is meant to say, this is meant to show that Samuel was basically at the edge of the camp when... (laughs) when Saul committed this sin. Just as he'd finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. Isn't that the way? Isn't that the way? You see, that's why, that's why Paul, not Saul, Paul talks about perseverance so much. That's why he talks about perspective so much. That's why he talks about fighting these fights and fighting these battles and holding on until the next day. Regardless of Saul's cordial meeting to Samuel, Samuel sizes up the situation very quickly. You ever think you're entitled to disobedience? Saul did. What about you? I have, by the way. Just get that out there. You ever think you're entitled to disobedience? Moses thought he was. Spoke to the rock to give water. The the rock didn't give water, so he hit it with a staff. And what happened? 
the water came out. Did Moses ever set foot 40 years later in the promised land? Nope. Nope. You ever think you're entitled to disobedience? We got to get through this. Sometimes we say it's gone on long enough. Sometimes we say it's time to lose my cool. Sometimes we say it's time to take matters into my own hands. 11 through 12, look at Samuel. What have you done? Asked Samuel. What have you done? I don't know how you read that. I wish I could hear the inflection of people's voices in Scripture. It could be commanding. It could be angry. But it could be Samuel with a complete loss of hope for Saul now. It might not be. What have you done? Somebody's listening. It might be Saul, or it might be Samuel going to Saul and saying, Saul, what have you just done? You've just thrown it away. You've thrown away the kingdom. You've thrown away your obedience. You've thrown away this test. See, I, I tend to think it's that because Samuel, we read later on that Samuel cares about Saul a great deal. I think it's this hopeless feeling that Samuel has. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time, I had to sin, right? You made me do it. I've been there. Adam and Eve, right? God asked Adam, why did you sin? What did he say? That lady made me do it. That woman. What's Saul saying? I had to sin, Samuel, because of you. What do we say? Well, I had to do that because of this situation or that situation or that person or, or that job or whatever it is. I had to. My hands were tied. I had to sin in order that I might bring about good. You know what Paul calls that reasoning? Paul calls that reasoning? The reasoning of hell. I had to disobey just a little bit so that this good could result. In fact, Paul says in Romans, if you think about that, if you think that way, you are your condemnation is justified. Romans 3. I'll start with verse 7 up there, guys. Someone might argue if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases His glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Paul says this in verse 8, Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is justified. I'll just sin a little bit. I'll just sin right now, and that way all of this good stuff will happen. That's what Saul's saying. Paul refers to it as the reason of hell. Not only does Saul lose this personal battle in his disobedience, but he loses the kingdom as well. Look at 13 and 14. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You've not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And appointed him ruler over his people. 
because you have not kept the Lord's command. Listen to what Samuel's saying now. Saul, because of your disobedience, your children, your household will not benefit from your service. Take this now down to your own home. Because of your disobedience, your children, your household, your heirs are going to suffer because you chose a life of disobedience. They will not inherit a legacy of honor because of your disobedience. So is all hope lost for Saul? He just lost the kingdom. He's going to have victory in battle on the battlefield. But because of his disobedience, he just lost the entire kingdom. Should Saul just throw in the towel? Hmm? Should you? Maybe we hit some hard spots on your heart today. Maybe we, we challenged the mind a little bit today. Maybe we caused some of those memories there in the upper room to, 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 to jump out at us. Should Saul just give up? Certainly not. And neither should you. Look, Saul's family at this point has lost the kingdom. But Saul at this point has not lost himself. He has not lost the ability and the opportunity to serve God in a way that is honorable and noble. He is still alive and he still has the ability to serve. Where there is life, there is hope. Even now, Saul can still win this battle. Even now. Will he give in to faith? Will he give in to trust? Will he give in to courage? Will he give in to perseverance and righteousness? Or will Saul give in to pride and fear and rage? Well, we read the end of the story first. What about you? Hmm? Church, you don't have yesterday. I don't know why people think about yesterday so, so much. You don't have yesterday. It's gone. Forget about that. Yep, you might have disobeyed yesterday. Why are you still thinking about that? All right? You're never going to face that again in your entire life. That's yesterday. That's not today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Why are you planning on how many times and ways you're going you're gonna to obey God tomorrow? You got right now, church. You got today. You've got today. And I guarantee you there's going to be a flood. There's going to be a surge. There's going to be a storm. This whole, whole earth is going through one right now. Is your house going to stand or is it going to fall? battle's coming today, tomorrow, this week. Will you win right here or will you lose? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gift of worship. We thank you for this gift of looking through the life of Saul, of learning from his mistakes, learning from your victories. Father, we would ask that you put it upon our hearts and minds to, 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 to fight that battle, that battle that causes us to win and lose regardless of everything else that's going on. That when we say to Jesus, you are my Lord and my God and my King, we mean it. But we live that out and we express that in our lives. Father, help us know what real victory is. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King.
Help us to be victorious where it really counts. In Jesus' name. 